Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of child abuse, violence, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Onlookers applauded as Dee Dee Blanchard wheeled her young daughter Gypsy Rose onto the stage. An announcer told the audience that at just 14 years old, Gypsy Rose suffered from leukemia, muscular dystrophy, and paralysis, in addition to other painful and terrifying ailments. Yet, as Gypsy Rose took center stage, she had a massive smile on her face. Her eyes shone through large, circular glasses, and her bald head was adorned with a bow. She was the picture of positivity in the face of overwhelming adversity. That was exactly why the American Cancer Society chose to have her perform at their annual Relay for Life. The audience watched as the announcer handed a microphone to the frail-looking girl. Gypsy Rose took a deep breath and began to sing. In a high voice, she performed a verse that began with the lyrics, I believe there are angels among us. As Gypsy Rose sang, she looked up at her mother, Dee Dee. The scene tugged at the crowd's heartstrings. They saw an inseparable pair, a sick daughter with a doting mother, bonded by the kind of love only a parent and child can share. After Gypsy Rose's song, Dee Dee took the microphone. She told her daughter, that's why I was born, to be your mama. It was a heartwarming ending to a successful charity event. But as she stood beaming on the stage, Dee Dee Blanchard hid two terrible secrets. Her daughter wasn't 14. She was an 18-year-old woman. Worse yet, Gypsy Rose wasn't a leukemia patient. She was, and always had been, perfectly healthy. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll discuss the predatory relationship between Dee Dee Blanchard and her daughter, Gypsy Rose. Beginning when Gypsy Rose was a baby, Dee Dee, desperate for control and attention, convinced everyone that her healthy daughter suffered from a litany of illnesses. As Gypsy Rose got older, Dee Dee grew more controlling and abusive until eventually Gypsy Rose was pushed to her limit. Next week, we'll cover the crime that tore the mother-daughter pair apart. We'll see how Gypsy Rose's twisted scheme left one dead and two behind bars. We'll also discuss how neighbors and relatives reacted when they learned that Gypsy Rose had never been sick at all. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
In late 1990, 17-year-old Rod Blanchard found himself in a difficult situation. He'd gotten a curly-haired 24-year-old named Claudine Petrie, who everyone called Dee Dee, pregnant. Because they were both from a conservative parish in Louisiana, Rod felt he had no choice but to marry Dee Dee before their baby was born. The couple wed quickly, but Rod didn't love Dee Dee. Although he wanted to be part of his child's life, he couldn't stay married to someone he didn't see a future with. He filed for divorce before his daughter was even born. Despite their relationship struggles, Dee Dee kept Rod's last name and planned to pass it on to their daughter. She struggled through the rest of her pregnancy alone. Then on July 27, 1991, gave birth to a baby girl named Gypsy Rose. The family rejoiced when doctors gave the newborn a clean bill of health. But just three months later, Dee Dee brought Gypsy Rose back to the hospital. She was convinced that her daughter had sleep apnea. Medical professionals didn't see any evidence of the disorder, but they didn't want to question the young mother. So they treated the baby with a breathing machine. Rod too trusted his ex-wife. In response to the news, he started sending $1,200 in child support each month. It's unclear if Dee Dee actually believed Gypsy Rose had sleep apnea. Either way, during that hectic visit to the emergency room, something must have clicked in her mind. When she claimed her daughter was sick, nurses gave her sympathy and Rod gave her money. Gypsy Rose's illness meant Dee Dee's social and monetary gain. Soon, what first appeared to be motherly concern became something much more sinister. Over the next five years, Dee Dee's claims about Gypsy Rose's health grew increasingly extreme. Despite a complete lack of evidence, she told Rod that Gypsy Rose had a chromosomal defect that caused asthma, epilepsy, and muscular dystrophy. Later, Numerous psychologists suggested that Dee Dee Blanchard experienced a psychological phenomenon known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Before I continue with Dee Dee's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. According to a 2018 article published in the British Journal of Psychiatry, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is a type of child maltreatment in which a parent makes up or induces health problems in their children. Although the cause of the syndrome is poorly understood, the article theorizes that these types of parents have insecure mental representations of caregiving and care-eliciting relationships. In other words, these individuals don't have a healthy understanding of how people exchange love and care. Although relatively little is known about Dee Dee's childhood, it's possible she experienced some kind of abuse or neglect that led her to internalize a predatory conception of motherhood. Instead of parenting in a positive way, she created and enforced a relationship with rigid roles. Gypsy Rose had to be a sick child, and Dee Dee had to be her doting mother. Of course, that wasn't the only thing Dee Dee was after. According to Dr. Mark Feldman, a professor of psychiatry, part of Dee Dee's agenda appeared to be a malingering, trying to get money out of the fraud, but most of it seemed to be her pursuit of attention and control. 
Dee Dee sought to profit off her daughter's supposed illnesses and wanted the sympathy that parents of sick children inevitably receive. When Rod sent her money and praised her motherly devotion, he thought he was doing the right thing. Unfortunately, he was giving Dee Dee exactly what she wanted. Worse yet, Rod never asked to look at Gypsy Rose's medical records himself. If he had, he would have noticed a pattern. Dee Dee took their daughter to a vast array of doctors, but rarely visited the same physician more than a few times. This was likely because as soon as a doctor questioned Dee Dee, she would stop going to their office altogether. Even though some physicians might have denied Gypsy Rose treatment, none were suspicious enough to intervene. For the most part, Dee Dee had medical professionals fooled. They provided her with inhalers, epilepsy medication, and multiple wheelchairs. By the time Gypsy Rose was seven years old, her mother rolled her around almost everywhere they went, despite the fact that Gypsy Rose could walk perfectly well on her own. As for Dee Dee's family, they, like Rod, remained in the dark. She convinced everyone that Gypsy Rose was a sickly child, even Gypsy Rose herself. It's impossible to know exactly what happened when Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose were alone. However, one thing is certain. Gypsy Rose trusted her mother. As a child, she fully believed that she suffered from asthma, epilepsy, sleep apnea, muscular dystrophy, and a new diagnosis, leukemia. Gypsy Rose stayed in her wheelchair because her mother convinced her she was too weak to walk. She never spoke at doctor's appointments because Dee Dee told her to keep quiet. She took the medications she was given because she thought they would cure her phantom diseases. Unfortunately, the pills had another more disturbing purpose. Between epilepsy medications, sleep aids, and a number of other unnecessary drugs, Gypsy Rose spent her days in a constant fog. Most of the time, Dee Dee kept her so sedated that she was nearly unconscious. She had no idea what was going on around her. Dee Dee did everything she could to make Gypsy Rose look sick, including shaving her head to give her the appearance of a chemotherapy patient. To stave off any suspicion on Gypsy Rose's part, Dee Dee told her daughter that her hair would fall out anyway, and she only buzzed it to keep it nice and neat. Dee Dee held the clippers next to her daughter's scalp. It had been too long since the last shave, and Gypsy Rose's hair was growing in thick and dark. Dee Dee cursed herself for not tending to it sooner. Starting near her daughter's forehead, Dee Dee sheared the shiny, healthy hair off her daughter's scalp. When she was finished, Gypsy Rose once again resembled the person Dee Dee so desperately wanted her to be, a sick, helpless child. She pulled a knitted beanie over her daughter's head and breathed a sigh of relief. The act of shaving was really one of reconciliation. It was a way to bridge the gap between Dee Dee's fantasy world and reality. If Gypsy Rose looked like she had cancer, then she had cancer. If Dee Dee had a suffering child, then she had someone to take care of. She had a purpose. She had a way to get attention, sympathy, and money. She couldn't let that go. 
Dee Dee had her daughter fooled, but her extended family eventually grew concerned. After Gypsy Rose finished second grade, her mother pulled her out of school. Gypsy Rose seemed happy enough, but she didn't talk much, and with every passing day, she fell further behind both academically and socially. Dee Dee controlled her every movement and practically never left her side. The family did believe Gypsy Rose was sick, but they also saw Dee Dee as controlling and overbearing. Tensions rose, and Dee Dee's parenting became a point of contention. Dee Dee had a simple solution. Just as she had with prying doctors, she cut off any family members who questioned her behavior. Before long, she was avoiding every single one of her relatives. She could hardly go out in public without running into someone she didn't want to see. She decided that if she wanted more privacy, she had to move. At some point during the late 1990s or early 2000s, she packed up and drove Gypsy Rose about two hours north to Slidell, Louisiana. Dee Dee didn't know anybody in Slidell. She and her daughter were miles away from anybody who knew Gypsy Rose personally, which meant her sick fantasy could play out uninterrupted. Coming up, Dee Dee's abuse escalates as Gypsy Rose grows older. Hi listeners, it's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals, like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own. Or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. For years, Dee Dee Blanchard lied to doctors and family members to convince them that her daughter Gypsy had a litany of health problems. At first, Dee Dee had everyone fooled, granting her all the attention and sympathy she desired. But eventually, her family started asking too many questions. To escape their prying eyes, 33-year-old Dee Dee and 9-year-old Gypsy Rose moved to Slidell, Louisiana sometime around the year 2000. By this point, Dee Dee had started milking the system for all she could. In Slidell, she received public housing due to Gypsy Rose's supposed illnesses. She told the state that she couldn't work because she needed to care for her daughter 24-7, so they qualified for social security and disability payments. 
Gypsy Rose's unnecessary doctor visits and medications were funded by Medicaid, and Rod still provided Dee Dee with $1,200 a month in child support. Once they were settled into their new home in Slidell, nothing could stop Dee Dee from living out her fantasy. She was determined to have a sick daughter, even if it meant forcing Gypsy Rose to endure painful, invasive surgeries that served no medical purpose. She frequently brought Gypsy Rose to the Tulane University Hospital and Clinic and the Children's Hospital in Slidell. Soon after they'd moved to the area, she insisted that the doctors perform a biopsy to determine whether or not Gypsy Rose had muscular dystrophy. After they surgically removed a muscle sample and tested it, medical professionals determined Gypsy Rose did not suffer from the disease. When Dee Dee got the news, she was incensed. She told doctors that they had no idea what they were talking about. Her daughter was clearly suffering and they needed to do something about it. Thankfully, the physicians refused. Dee Dee realized she would have to make up illnesses that were harder to disprove. Within a few months, she was claiming Gypsy Rose had eye and ear troubles. She forced her daughter to wear glasses she didn't need and even convinced surgeons to operate on Gypsy Rose. They anesthetized and cut into the little girl's ear canals to fix problems that didn't exist. Dee Dee could lie to her family about almost anything, but to fool medical professionals, she had to accurately describe symptoms that couldn't be directly tested. Over the next few years, she practiced through trial and error, amassing a huge collection of unnecessary medications in the process. But as Gypsy Rose reached her preteen years, Dee Dee saw problems on the horizon. Gypsy Rose might start asking questions, or worse, refusing medications. She had to plan ahead. She needed the money and sympathy to keep coming. To this end, Dee Dee gave Gypsy Rose a substance that made her drool. She used this as evidence that her daughter had overactive salivary glands and told doctors that Gypsy Rose couldn't eat. To fix this, physicians surgically removed the glands and implanted a feeding tube into her daughter's abdomen. The operation made Gypsy Rose look even more ill, but more importantly, it made it possible for Dee Dee to force her daughter to ingest anything, including medications that kept her sedated, confused, and unable to fight back. For the next few years, life went on just as Dee Dee wanted it to. Gypsy Rose existed in a drug-fueled haze that kept her compliant. Neighbors saw Dee Dee as a selfless, caring mother and money kept flowing in from Rod and the government. Then, in 2005, disaster struck. Hurricane Katrina flooded the Blanchard Slidell home, leaving them practically destitute. But 38-year-old Dee Dee was a master manipulator, and she knew just how to turn the situation around. When news crews came to interview survivors, she shoved her 14-year-old Gypsy Rose in front of the camera, 
She told reporters that her daughter suffered from terrible illnesses, placing special emphasis on her fake muscular dystrophy and leukemia. Gypsy Rose didn't say a word because she didn't know her mother was lying. Dee Dee got exactly the response she wanted. Sympathy came from around the nation, and within a few months, Habitat for Humanity reached out to tell her that they wanted to do something special for her ailing daughter. The nonprofit organized a helicopter flight from Slidell, Louisiana to Springfield, Missouri. There, Habitat for Humanity was constructing a sizable home. It would be painted pastel pink with bright white details and would have a wheelchair ramp up to the front door. Best of all, it would be totally free of charge. When she learned that the pink house was all theirs, Gypsy Rose was elated. At 14, she knew that she could walk and eat on her own, but Dee Dee had convinced her that it was too dangerous to do either of these things for too long. She didn't think she was scamming the nonprofit. She thought she was receiving aid in good faith. Construction workers completed the home in 2008. The day Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee moved in, Local news crews interviewed the pair. Gypsy, with a baseball cap over her shaved head, told reporters, I remember, my mom had gave me this little glass house, and she said, one day, this will be real. And now, it finally is. In the video, Gypsy Rose smiled at the camera, her eyes bright behind the large glasses that her mother forced her to wear. At the time, she had no idea how right she was. Their Springfield home was, in many ways, built out of glass. It was precarious, predicated entirely on lies. The smallest ding could shatter the fantasy Dee Dee worked so hard to build. In their tight-knit Springfield neighborhood, 17-year-old Gypsy Rose desperately wanted to make friends. She'd reached the age when she was no longer content to spend her days alongside her mother. She yearned to be a regular teenager, but Dee Dee had other plans. Gypsy Rose's fake maladies had become incredibly profitable. Ever since the coverage following Hurricane Katrina, charities were more than willing to send the Blanchards money. The Make-A-Wish Foundation sent them on all-expenses-paid trips to Disneyland. In 2007, Gypsy Rose was named Child of the Year by the Oli Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people who need feeding tubes. Gypsy Rose performed at the 2009 Relay for Life event as a spokesperson for the American Cancer Society. If there had ever been a chance of Dee Dee giving up the charade, it was gone. Charities, doctors, and neighbors were all charmed by her and her daughter. Dee Dee was getting everything she wanted. Her life would be perfect as long as she could stop Gypsy Rose from growing up. As always, Dee Dee had a plan to get her way. She made up a false but nevertheless convincing story. She claimed all of the family's important documents, including Gypsy Rose's birth certificate and medical records, had been lost in the flood. 
Dee Dee forged a fake certificate that changed Gypsy Rose's birth year from 1991 to 1995. It effectively made her daughter four years younger than she actually was. Dee Dee told doctors and neighbors that 17-year-old Gypsy Rose was only 13. Worse yet, she convinced Springfield locals that on top of all of her other health issues, Gypsy Rose struggled with a mental handicap. Dee Dee falsely told them her daughter had the intellect of a seven-year-old. All this happened without Gypsy Rose's knowledge and made it all but impossible for her to socialize. Other kids in the neighborhood treated her like she was half her age because that's exactly what Dee Dee told them to do. Over the next few years, Gypsy Rose remained isolated and infantilized. Dee Dee put epilepsy medications in her feeding tube, leaving her dizzy, nauseous, and sedated. Gypsy Rose was as confused as her neighbors. She was hardly allowed to be sober, and after a while, she couldn't remember her own age. Meanwhile, Gypsy Rose's father, Rod, remained in Louisiana. He was too far away to know what Dee Dee was doing to their daughter. He continued sending money, and on Gypsy Rose's 18th birthday, he gave her a call. Unfortunately, Dee Dee intercepted their conversation and warned Rod not to tell Gypsy Rose her real age. If he did, she said Gypsy Rose would be very upset. Rod didn't understand the secrecy, but he trusted his ex-wife. Gypsy Rose remained unaware that she was legally an adult. At 18 years old, her entire life had been a montage of doctor's appointments, medications, and surgical procedures. For the most part, she was used to the pain 42-year-old Dee Dee inflicted upon her daily. The one thing that bothered her, however, was her loneliness. In 2009, Gypsy Rose knew she could walk. She knew she could eat. She hadn't died of leukemia like Dee Dee said she would. She didn't understand why she couldn't at least try to have a somewhat normal life. Against her mother's orders, Gypsy Rose reached out to her neighbors. Most of them treated her strangely, still believing that she had the mind of an elementary schooler. But one neighbor, a kind 18-year-old named Aaliyah Woodmansey, befriended her. Although Aaliyah believed Gypsy Rose was only 14, the two nevertheless developed a friendship. Gypsy Rose's primary mode of communication was Facebook. She and her mother shared a single profile, but Gypsy Rose created her own secret account to correspond with Aaliyah. At night, while Dee Dee slept, Gypsy Rose climbed out of bed and walked on her own two legs to the computer. Careful to make as little noise as possible, she messaged Aaliyah. The young women talked about everything from movies to music to romantic relationships, but they never broached the subject of Gypsy Rose's illnesses. In fact, it's unclear whether at 18 years old, Gypsy Rose understood the extent of her mother's cruelty. Many victims of child abuse live in a state of denial well into adulthood, unable to accept that they were mistreated in their youth. Gypsy Rose hadn't been to school since second grade, 
and was conditioned to believe that Dee Dee had only good intentions. This inability to recognize abuse seems to be somewhat common amongst victims of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. According to a 1995 paper written by Dr. J.A. Lebo, these victims generally felt unloved and unsafe in childhood. A few were directly aware of their parents' deceptions. Gypsy Rose must have known that something wasn't right, but according to her own statements, she didn't yet suspect her mother's abuse and fraud. That all changed one night in 2011, when Didi awoke to the sound of her daughter typing. Didi climbed out of bed and tiptoed down the hallway. She followed the clicking noises towards the computer room. There was Gypsy, lit by the monitor's blue glow, typing away. Rage bubbled up from the pit of Didi's stomach. Her once docile daughter was becoming secretive. She had no idea how hard Didi had worked to send them to Disneyland to get them a big pink house. Didi had given her daughter everything, but clearly, Gypsy Rose wasn't satisfied. Apparently, she wanted freedom, friendship. She wanted to be normal. Gypsy Rose's mind was going in dangerous directions, and Dee Dee had to rein it back in. She grabbed a coat hanger from the hall closet and stomped into the computer room. Without warning, she grabbed her daughter by the neck and beat her with the makeshift weapon. She threw Gypsy Rose back into her room and told her to never touch the computer without supervision again, or else. According to Gypsy, Dee Dee's physical abuse grew more frequent after that. Once her mother started beating her, Gypsy Rose became suspicious of her motives. She used to think her mother had good intentions, but now she saw how cruel and controlling she really was. Anytime Gypsy Rose tried to ask questions, like why she had to use a wheelchair or take certain medications, her mother would allegedly beat or sedate her. By the end of 2011, Gypsy Rose had grown desperate. She had no real connection to the outside world and felt compelled to obey her mother. She was a hostage in her own home. The only place she found peace was in movies. She spent her days locked inside, receiving food through a tube and watching any film she could get her hands on. She dove headfirst into the fantasy genre, intent on dreaming her way out of her circumstances. It didn't take long for Dee Dee to pick up on Gypsy Rose's new hobby. Perhaps as a kind of olive branch, she agreed to take her daughter to a sci-fi and fantasy convention in Springfield near the end of 2011. Gypsy Rose was elated. She couldn't wait to meet people who shared her interests. On the day of the convention, she felt happier than she had in years. Although Dee Dee insisted on keeping her in her wheelchair, Gypsy Rose was more sober than usual. She was able to visit booths, buy new books, and meet people dressed up as her favorite characters. This tiny taste of normalcy was everything to her. She had to hold on to it. At one point, Dee Dee left her alone, 
perhaps to run to the restroom or grab some food. Gypsy Rose jumped on the opportunity. She wheeled herself across the convention center until she ran into a man she'd met earlier that day. Speaking quickly, Gypsy Rose told the man that she needed help. She didn't have time to explain, but she had to hide fast. The man brought Gypsy Rose back to his hotel room. For the first time in her life, she felt free. Her mother wasn't around to surveil her or force medications into her feeding tube. Her first instinct was to pretend none of Dee Dee's abuse ever happened. Instead of confiding in the man or asking him to call the police, she talked about how much fun she'd had at the convention. Unfortunately, her taste of freedom would be short-lived. Just four hours later, Dee Dee pounded on the hotel door. She screamed at the man, threatening to press charges against him for hiding her daughter, who she said was only 15 years old. Then she glared at Gypsy Rose. The rage in her eyes made her daughter cower. Gypsy Rose's escape attempt had failed miserably. Now she was going to pay the price. Up next, Dee Dee tightens her hold on her daughter and Gypsy Rose resorts to more extreme measures. Now, back to the story. In late 2011, Gypsy Rose Blanchard attempted to escape her abusive mother, 44-year-old Dee Dee. Unfortunately, Dee Dee tracked her down in around four hours. She drove her daughter back to their pink house in Springfield, Missouri, cursing about how ungrateful Gypsy Rose was. Dee Dee realized she'd made a mistake by leaving her daughter alone. She vowed to never slip up again. She'd make sure Gypsy Rose didn't have the guts to attempt another daring getaway. According to Gypsy, when they got back to the house, Dee Dee tied her to the bed using a dog leash. With her daughter restrained, Dee Dee smashed the family computer with a hammer. Gypsy Rose no longer had any way to communicate with anyone outside of their household. Gypsy Rose later told reporters that after her escape attempt, her mother refused to feed her for two full days. She was allegedly tied to her bed, doubled over with hunger pains and unable to call for help for 48 hours. Finally, Dee Dee untied and fed her daughter, but she certainly didn't forgive her. Tensions in the pink house remained high for weeks. The only way for Gypsy Rose to calm Dee Dee down was to play the role she'd been forced into. She acted sick. She let her mother shave her head. She took her medications, stayed in her wheelchair, and didn't ask any questions. Gypsy Rose treaded lightly, and her mother gradually let her guard down. Slowly, she was able to reconnect with people in their Springfield community. At some point in late 2012, 45-year-old Dee Dee bought a new computer, which she allowed her daughter to use with supervision. She also gave 21-year-old Gypsy Rose a cell phone, which was, in all likelihood, a way for her to keep track of her increasingly unpredictable daughter. Despite how terrified she was of her mother, Gypsy Rose was even more afraid of spending her life locked inside their pink house. 
As soon as Dee Dee replaced the computer, she started sneaking onto it at night, though she was much more careful than before. Gypsy Rose messaged her only friend Aaliyah, but she didn't tell her what she'd been through. Instead, she asked for advice about talking to boys. Gypsy Rose dreamed about having a romantic relationship like the one she saw in fantasy movies. She wanted a Prince Charming, a man who would show up and save her from Dee Dee's abuse. Aaliyah suggested that she try to meet someone online, so Gypsy Rose made a profile on a Christian dating site. It didn't take long to find a match. Before the end of 2012, she connected with 23-year-old Nicholas Godijon, a man who lived with his parents about eight hours away. The two immediately hit it off. After a few months of talking, the couple shared their secrets. Nick told Gypsy Rose that he had Asperger syndrome, a high-functioning condition on the autism spectrum. Gypsy Rose told Nick that she'd been sick her entire life, had leukemia, and often needed to use a wheelchair. Over time, she admitted she was afraid of her mother, who forced her to use a wheelchair and a feeding tube. Nick promised Gypsy Rose they could get through anything together. He swore he would protect her no matter what. On her private Facebook account, Gypsy Rose started referring to Nick as her boyfriend. She'd finally met her Prince Charming. Unfortunately, Nick's endearing online persona would soon crack, and the darker sides of his personality would become all too obvious. Sometime during the first year of their relationship, 24-year-old Nick told 21-year-old Gypsy Rose that he was into roleplay and BDSM. Gypsy Rose had heard of roleplaying before. She thought back to the sci-fi convention with people dressed as their favorite characters. She had to Google BDSM. The images that appeared sent a shiver down her spine. She'd spent her entire life being tied up, both literally and figuratively. To Gypsy, there was nothing sexual about bondage. It hit far too close to home. Even so, she didn't tell Nick how uncomfortable she felt. It was her first relationship, and she had no blueprint for how to set healthy boundaries. Instead, she played along. But Nick had even more secrets. Unbeknownst to Gypsy, he had previously been arrested for watching pornography on a tablet at McDonald's. His sexual history didn't bode well, and it looked as if he was bringing Gypsy Rose down a questionable path. Nick also told her that he had multiple personality disorder, a claim that has never been verified and was probably not true. Dr. Mark Feldman, a psychiatrist who has written about Gypsy Rose's story, suggested that Nick likely had at least one untreated mental health problem. In addition to reportedly being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder level two, Nick had a below average IQ and seemed incapable of keeping a job or establishing healthy social relationships. Dr. Feldman speculated that Nick's various personalities served as a way for him to bind his ego and keep him from deteriorating further psychologically. Nick needed a way to understand himself 
and make sense of his varied thoughts and desires. His personalities were a coping mechanism that helped him reconcile different parts of his psyche. For example, he claimed he had a good personality, which showcased the more caring side of his nature. He also had a sexual personality, which he chose to fully separate from his good side. Nick told Gypsy Rose that his various personas were lonely, so she made up numerous ones of her own. She had a romantic personality, a sexual personality, and more. At Nick's request, she sent provocative pictures of herself dressed up as these characters. According to Dr. Feldman, it's unlikely that Gypsy Rose truly believed in her personalities like Nick seemed to. Rather, he says, she went along with Nick's rather perverse needs because she was desperate for his love and attention. Gypsy Rose's desire to be loved blinded her to the fact that she was being manipulated. From her point of view, Nick's psychological issues were nothing more than quirks. Only one thing struck her as a red flag. Nick sometimes referred to his evil personality, a part of him that wanted to hurt people. Gypsy Rose made a mental note to never provoke her boyfriend. She didn't want to see his evil side. Over the next two years, things in the Blanchard's pink house carried on as usual. Gypsy Rose stayed in her wheelchair, let her mother shave her head, took her medications, and didn't ask questions. Dee Dee was calm so long as Gypsy Rose was compliant. She might have suspected her daughter was sneaking onto the computer, but she never caught her in the act. By spring 2015, Gypsy Rose was nearing her 24th birthday. She and 26-year-old Nick had discussed marriage and even picked out names for their future children, but they'd never actually met in person. Gypsy Rose desperately wanted to see her long-distance boyfriend, but she worried her mother would never approve, especially if she found out how they met. Gypsy Rose and Nick came up with a convoluted plan to solve the problem. Gypsy Rose loved Disney films, so it would be easy to convince her mother to go to a screening of Cinderella at a Springfield movie theater. Nick would take a bus down from his home, and when they saw each other at the theater, they'd pretend to meet for the first time. In March 2015, their plan came to fruition. Gypsy Rose wore a Cinderella costume and a long blonde wig. Nick dressed up as Prince Charming. They both went to the theater and acted like their meeting was a fateful encounter. Upon seeing Nick for the first time, Gypsy Rose was practically starstruck. It was easy for her to look past his flaws. He was the only person who had ever made her feel loved, and she truly believed he would protect her. According to Gypsy, she and Nick snuck away during the film to have sex in a movie theater bathroom. Afterwards, she was more sure than ever that she wanted to spend the rest of her life with him. But unsurprisingly, 48-year-old Dee Dee didn't approve. She thought Nick was creepy. It was odd for a grown man to be seeing a children's movie alone, she said. There must be something wrong with him. For the first time in her life, Gypsy Rose wasn't discouraged. She no longer hid the fact that she was corresponding with Nick 
and would openly text him in front of her mother. For all his flaws, he gave Gypsy Rose the courage she needed to stand up to Dee Dee. Gypsy Rose knew her mother could hurt her, drug her, even kill her if she wanted to. But after 23 years, she was sick of living like a prisoner. She would rather die than keep living under her mother's thumb. Dee Dee, on the other hand, held tight to the idea that her fantasy could continue uninterrupted. While Gypsy Rose begged for independence, Dee Dee tightened her daughter's shackles. At some point during May 2015, tensions came to a head. Dee Dee lumbered into the computer room where Gypsy Rose was messaging Nick. Red-faced and breathing heavily, Dee Dee threw the keyboard across the room. Then she looked for other things to grab. The mouse, pill bottles, a coat hanger. She picked up whatever she could find and hurled it at Gypsy, her thinkless, conniving daughter. Eventually, her rage simmered down to a dull frustration. She'd done everything she could to manipulate her daughter, but Gypsy Rose still wanted autonomy. Dee Dee couldn't let that happen. Her daughter had to be a puppet, and she had to pull the strings. She threw open one of the hall closets. It was stacked floor to ceiling with hundreds of different medications. She grabbed a bottle of sedatives, wrestled her daughter into bed, and put the drugs through her feeding tube. Soon, Gypsy Rose rested. She was quiet, compliant, and void of all emotion just as Dee Dee wanted her. When Gypsy Rose awoke from her drug-induced sleep, her mind was foggy. It was the middle of the night. She could hear her mother snoring down the hall and all she wanted to do was cry. Nevertheless, she dragged her aching body out of bed and to the computer. She reconnected the keyboard and opened up Facebook. Typing as quietly as she could, she messaged Nick about what had happened. She told him that she couldn't live that way anymore. Nick responded that he'd do anything to protect her. He could take a bus to Springfield, pick her up, and take her back to his house, where they could live happily ever after. But Gypsy Rose knew that would never work. Dee Dee always found a way to track her down. She'd learned that lesson the hard way. She had to escape her mother for good. Gypsy Rose choked back tears and forced herself to type. She told Nick that she needed help from his evil side. She wanted him to kill her mother. After a few painstaking minutes, Nick responded. He told Gypsy Rose that if murder was what it took to keep her safe, he was willing to wield the knife. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of Gypsy Rose Blanchard's story. We'll cover the crime that ended Dee Dee's twisted scheme and see how the world reacted when they learned that Gypsy Rose had never been sick after all. 
You can find all episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Karis Allen, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify. Spotify.